On New Year's Day, I traveled to Ireland to visit, especially my mother, who is uh, aging in a nursing home. And as we were approaching the town that I grew up in, and it's a very old town, um, my brother said, do you want to see the new bypass? So for a couple of years, they've been working on a bypass of the town. And that would be, you know, building bridges and acquiring land and permission, planning permission, all of that stuff. So I said, sure. So it was quite amazing to drive on the road that um, I had never been on before. And uh, it was the first bridge over the River Barrow in my hometown since British rule. So needless to say, we were waiting a long time for the bypass. <laughs> 50 years waiting for it. So it is, uh, it's amazing and it was lovely to drive in places that were cornfields and vegetable fields and farming land and to see a beautiful road there. And what really struck me, apart from the road itself, was the number of people who were out walking on New Year's Day. And I walked it three or four times when I was home and it was always crowded with people, young, middle-aged and old people out walking. And uh, I said it to a family, and they said, it leads down after a while. It is all their New Year's Day and New Year's resolutions. And after a while, it'll calm down. But uh, I've just been hearing so much about New Year's resolutions. Uh, you know, another one was <laughs> dry January. My nephew was uh, doing dry January until he took a swig of a pint again, he says, oh, I forgot all about it. <laughs> so it's uh, New Year's resolutions are something that we do all the time. But there's something in us that's looking for something more, something, a better version of ourselves, something more. And today's gospel is kind of like, I could say it's a New Year's resolution in a way. It's a very profound and very beautiful gospel. And um, there's a wonderful book on the questions that Jesus asks in John's Gospel that is a fabulous read. A little bit hard to read, a little bit dense, but it is fabulous. And, and the first words of Jesus in that Gospel of John, which is a great Gospel, it really is worth paying attention to. So John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. What does the Lamb of God mean? The Lamb of God, behold the one who will unite us with each other and unite us with God. Even that opening line, behold the Lamb of God. This is the one, this is the guy, the man, who will unite us with each other and unite us with God. And that touched the disciples. This is something they were looking for. And they went walking after him. Now the theologians always say that, that it, is, it is something beautiful in every word and action in this gospel. Jesus turns and looks at them. They said he holds them in his gaze. And they said that very gaze is a very profound invitation into relationship with him. I suppose you could say it's like when people fall in love, they see each other for the first time. There's something special in that. And when I interview couples, sometimes they remember that the first time that they saw each other in a very unique way. So that is what Jesus is doing, is inviting them into a relationship. 
And when he gazed, he says, like, ask him, what are you looking for? And he says, you know, what are you looking for? What do you seek? And he says, where do you stay? Each of these movements are just something very, very beautiful and fabulous. So does Jesus captivated them? Even at a very, in a distance, he captivated them. And that invitation to come and see is an invitation into a relationship with him, a relationship with other people. It's an invitation to be with him and to stay where he stays in his life as well. It is uh, what is what we have to. Uh, John of the Cross puts it very beautifully. He says, uh, "You who are looking for God, you must realize that even more so, God is looking for you." So, all of us here, Jesus has gazed at us and has inviting us in. He's inviting us. He's asking you the question even today. What do you seek? And this is a question that we should be able to ask ourselves at every moment of our life. What are we seeking? What do we want out of life? What do we want for ourselves? And, and it's, it's, it's worth pondering as we begin a new year once again. And, and he's saying to us, come and see. So the desire for God is deeply within us. There's a French uh, theologian, he says that there is a void in our hearts in which all creatures united would be unable to fill. God alone can fulfill it, for he is our beginning and our end. And only this greater love can put order into lesser loves, the way that a bar magnet can draw iron filings into a pattern. So the, the only thing ultimately that will satisfy us is if we are united with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is something that is joyful. It is something that is peaceful. It is something, a question that Jesus is asking to get us there. It is why he came, so that we may be one with him as he is at one with God the Father as well. Something that struck me about it is that what do you seek? What does everybody seek? I think everybody seeks to be happy. And if, you, if I asked all the parents in the school or in the religious ed or any parent here, I said, what do you want for your, parent, for your children or your grandchildren that they may be happy? And that is what God wants for us. God wants us very simply to be happy. And that is why he sent his son into the world, that we would be happy. Ignatius of Loyola puts it very beautifully. He says, pray for a share of the joy of the risen Lord. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was filled with joy. That is filled with happiness. St. Paul puts it beautifully, rejoice in the Lord always. Be happy in the Lord. So I'm asking you to adapt and be, have a New Year's resolution. Because every Christian, and this is given to us by God, 
and as a disciple of Christ, every Christian has the duty to be happy. Everybody, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have a duty to be happy. Have you heard that before? You have, thank you. You have a duty to be happy. And if you can just say that to yourself every day, you wake up. Today, I have a duty to be happy. Because Jesus was a happy person. Jesus was constantly filled with the joy of God. And that is what we are called to as well. We have the duty to be happy. Because happiness is toxic. Another great saint said, it is much easier to convert people with a spoonful of honey than a barrel full of vinegar. You know, sometimes we can share a virus of sadness and, dip, and a kind of downness and darkness and kind of, you know, it, it can bring everybody down. But the opposite is true about happiness. That when we share happiness, our happiness, when we are fulfilling our discipleship by having, embracing the duty of happiness, then it can be contagious and we can help other people to be happy as well. Wouldn't it be lovely if our community of faith here at St. Joe's was known as a congregation of happiness? That your family would be a family of happiness. That your friends would be a community, a friendship of happiness. So the whole religious thing and everything about God and the Christ event, just as what you want for your kids, Jesus wants for us, God wants for us, he wants us to be happy. And if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we will embrace the duty of happiness that God calls each one of us to.